Welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director with CFA Institute. And joining me today is David Gwynn. David is a partner at the law firm Withers Bergman, where he leads the commercial practice group uh, in the US. David focuses on securities laws and has extensive experience advising high net worth individuals, families, family offices, and their advisors. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you, Lauren. So let's start off with um, the SEC's new definition of family offices. Um, at the end of March, it'll be one year since the um, family offices were required to either comply or register with the, with the SEC. Um, what has changed in the definition and are there still family offices out there that are grappling with what to do? So nothing really much has changed with the definition. A family office is a uh, investment advisory entity because that's mm -hmm. what pulls them into the potential regulation. If they aren't providing any investment advice, they don't need to worry about the rule. Right. But if they are providing investment advice, it's an entity that needs to be owned by family clients. And I'll okay. come back to what that means in just a second. And needs to be controlled by the family. Mm -hmm. So you can have key employees that own a piece of the business mm -hmm. Um, and can sit on the board of directors, but a majority of the governing body mm -hmm. needs to consist of family members. Okay. Family clients are businesses that are owned by and operated for the benefit of the family, mm -hmm. trusts that have been established for the benefit of the family, and foundations that are funded primarily or exclusively by the family. Right. Um, and there's some, some wiggle room in there a little bit, mm -hmm. which is why we still get calls. Right. <laughs> So we get, we get calls primarily in two areas. We have people who either thought they were in compliance okay. and have realized that this is a fairly technical definition and there's mm -hmm. an issue that they need to resolve. Right. Um, or more recently, we've had people who did comply with the rule mm -hmm. um, but are thinking about expanding their business in ways um, that would require them to register. So okay. I've been advising only family money, but I'm now going to bring in third-party money. Okay. Well, let's discuss that scenario, I guess, specifically. So say I represent a family office um, and my business operations are going to re require that I register because I'm taking third party money. Um, what structure can I adopt um, that will segregate the activities that need registration from the rest of the activities? So we, we pretty much always recommend to the families that they create a separate entity um, so that they're family assets are protected from disclosure to the SEC. And separate has a specific meaning in the securities law right. context. Um, the SEC um, has told us in private conversations with staff that there's a, a five-factor test that they developed for international financial institutions, actually, mm -hmm. um, that they've told us we should use in this context to measure the separateness of the family office from the new entity that they set up okay. to run third-party money. And the, the two factors that tend to be most important in the family office context are that that entity must be separately managed okay. from the family office and the investment advisory personnel need to be separate from the investment advisory personnel at the family office. Mm -hmm. So what we've typically recommended is that they set up a new LLC usually because that's okay. the most flexible structure to use. Okay. Um, and they make the person who's going to be responsible for running that business the manager. Mm -hmm. So they have both responsibility for the investment advice and they are running the business. Okay. 
The family, of course, wants to have some control over it, so we normally put in the operating agreement a set of member approval rights mm -hmm. so that the company can't do certain things without its owner, the family, okay. approving those. So compliance is an area where you do a lot of work, um, and I've heard that a lot more family offices are adopting more formal compliance policies. Um, why is this the case, and what does a good compliance policy look like? What does it have to address? Well, you have people, of course, who are adopting compliance policies because they've registered a, an entity, but um, it goes really way beyond that. And it's really now part of a family's uh, risk mitigation strategy. Okay. Um, so they're, they're adopting policies that serve the goals of protecting the family's reputation, mm -hmm. protecting the family's privacy, um, guarding against fraud or misappropriation of family assets. Mm -hmm. Um, shielding the family office employees from liability, mm -hmm. um, ensuring that they're meeting their fiduciary duties if they're involved with, you know, investments in other companies, things like that. You know, what exactly a compliance policy should entail will differ from, from one family to the next, mm -hmm. but there are some, some common themes. Okay. Um, you're going to want to have, you know, a code of ethics or a code of conduct, right. um, and that sort of sets the tone for what the ways in which you expect people to operate. Um, you're going to want a privacy policy, certainly, um, probably an insider trading policy, mm -hmm. a records retention policy, um, and you normally see uh, some type of policy that dictates um, a set of criteria about how the family office employees will deal with family interests if they're involved in third-party investments. Okay. Interesting. So I guess in closing, an, another compliance question, and this will be, I guess, a two-part question. Um, you've mentioned that you're seeing a rise in the number of clients asking about beneficial ownership reporting. Um, so what is beneficial ownership, and um, what are you advising clients? So beneficial ownership reporting is actually three different types. Um, there is uh, beneficial ownership reporting based on the amount of any given issuer you own. So if you own more than 5% of an issuer's voting securities, you need to report that. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a uh, reporting regime that applies to what are called in the SEC rules institutional investment managers, mm -hmm. and that tends to throw family offices off because they see the title and they think, well, that's clearly not me. Yeah. But an institutional investment manager is anyone that holds more than $100 million in marketable securities. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're called 13F securities, there's actually a list of them, but pretty much any equity security that's traded on a U.S. exchange mm -hmm. and most exchange-traded funds mm -hmm. would count as 13F securities, um, and mutual funds usually don't. Okay. Um, we've had a number of families recently that realized that they had a potential reporting obligation, and in that regard, it's often trying to decide who, who actually has the reporting obligation. Mm -hmm. If they've hired a third-party investment manager and delegated, you know, investment advisory authority to them on a discretionary basis, it's probably the investment advisor that needs to report, not the family. Okay. But if they retain uh, control, then they'll have to report. And it can get quite complicated in a multi-tiered personal holding structure mm -hmm. to decide who in that structure actually needs to be included on the reports. Right. Um, we have had some success and convincing the SEC that when you get to a level that the people, the actual individuals who are exercising control are disclosed, you can stop reporting so we, you know, we're protecting the upper tier mm -hmm. of, of personal holding structures, trusts and things like that that the SEC really doesn't have any need to know. Okay. 
Then the last piece um, is what's called large trader reporting, and that's based on the, the volume of trades you have. It's two million shares or $20 million in any given day, or 20 million shares or $200 million in any given month. So most families probably aren't going to have to worry about that one unless they have sort of an institutional trader operation okay. within the family office. Okay, good to know. Well, it's been very helpful. Um, thank you for your insights today, and um, thank you for watching. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.